Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by one of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voisin. A paralegal for more than 20 years, Vicki is dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Vicki Voison, the Paralegal Mentor and host of the Paralegal Voice. I'm a NALA Advanced Certified Paralegal. I publish a weekly e-newsletter titled Paralegal Strategies. And I'm also the co-author of The Professional Paralegal, A Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success. You'll find more information at paralegalmentor.com. My guest today is attorney Kate Redman, a partner with Olson, BizDoc, and Howard in Traverse City, Michigan, where she practices community enterprise law. She specializes in working with small businesses, nonprofits, social enterprises, and other mission-driven organizations. She's a graduate of the University of Michigan Law School and holds a Master of Public Policy from the University of Michigan Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy. Kate is from Traverse City, Michigan, and she was selected as one of Traverse City's most influential professionals under 40 for 2015. That's the second year in a row that Kate was selected by the Traverse City Business News as part of Traverse City's 40 under 40. And that's quite impressive, Kate. Thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we go any further, I do want to thank our sponsors, the people who keep us going here at the Paralegal Voice. That would be Boston University, offering an online certificate in paralegal studies. If you're seeking a professional credential or just want to further develop your skills, Boston University provides an affordable, high-quality 14-week program. Visit paralegalonline.bu.edu for information. That's paralegalonline.bu.edu. NALA, a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. NALA is a force in the promotion and advancement of the paralegal profession and has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since our very first show. And also serve now a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources you'll find helpful in your career and also your everyday job. Guests are usually included to help explore timely topics, and for that reason, I've invited attorney Kate Redman to be with me today. Kate, our discussion will focus on social media ethics for nonprofit organizations. And before we go any further, Kate, would you please tell our listeners more about your current community involvement and also uh, about some of the articles that you've written? 
Thank you, Vicki. I appreciate the introduction. Um, in addition to acting as general counsel for a variety of nonprofits and small businesses and mission-driven organizations, I also am very involved in uh, growing crowdfunding and community-based investment opportunities. I'm a fellow with the Sustainable Economies Law Center, and I serve on several nonprofit boards as well. Um, I work with cooperatives and also hybrid legal and financing structures for social enterprises and nonprofits. That's quite impressive. And I, as we get into talking about uh, social media for nonprofits, there's been a huge rise in the use of social media, and I'm assuming it's the same for nonprofits as it is everywhere else. And can you explain why that is? And also, how is social media beneficial to a nonprofit? As you're saying, just like for any organization, it can be a wonderful tool for communication and for sharing and gathering information and just for networking and communicating to the people that are interested in what you're doing. For a nonprofit, that might mean that you're fundraising or that you're recruiting volunteers. I mean, maybe you're just communicating messages related to your mission or you're promoting advocacy or awareness of different issues and or even just communicating about your organization, being transparent about what your organization is doing. Now, Kate, there's been a rise uh, in the use of social media by everyone, by brick-and-mortar businesses, by uh, corporations, and also by nonprofits. Can you tell me why? And also, uh, how is social media beneficial to nonprofits? Sure. Um, As you know, just for any type of organization, social media can be a wonderful tool for communication and for sharing and gathering information or just networking. Um, And a nonprofit can use it for fundraising, for volunteer recruitment, uh, to help share information related to their mission or even implement their mission um, and, you know, raise advocacy and awareness for issues they're concerned about or even just organizational communication and transparency. Now, what about... Uh, people working for a nonprofit, whether they're the executive director or a paralegal or receptionist or whatever, tell us why it's important for them to think very carefully about social media posts. What should they be thinking about? Well, the same rules apply to actions an organization takes through social media, just as if it was taking those actions in person. But I think with social media, it is so easy to click that button and to do things that if you had to actually mail a letter or do something in person, you would probably think a lot harder before you did it. (laughs) It's just a good um, uh, opportunity for people to really think about how and why they're using social media. I tend to sort of think of it as falling into four areas. Um, If you're there's, if you're fundraising through social media, there's kind of a set of rules that are going to apply to that. Um, if you are dispersing content through social media, thinking about sort of the legal considerations that would apply to your content, um, that might be the restrictions that apply to you because you're a 501c3. It might mean thinking about commu- copyright and intellectual property or concerns such as defamation and fraud. Um, and as a third area to think about, you know, how, who is representing you on social media? Who who among your employees or your board or your volunteers are you authorizing to represent you? And on kind of what platforms do you want to authorize them to represent you? And as a fourth and final area, how, how are you monitoring and enforcing um, how social media is being used um, by your organization and related to your organization? Well, Kate, let's back up just a minute and talk about the difference between social media ethics 
uh, say in a law firm or uh, a for-profit corporation and a nonprofit organization. And you just mentioned 501c3. I'd like for you to define that. I, I know the difference, but maybe you could define that for our audience. 501c3 is a type of uh, federal tax status. If you're a nonprofit organization, there are several different federal tax classifications you can have. 501c3 is probably the one we hear the most about. And what that is is an organization that is operated for charitable, educational, scientific, or religious purposes. Um, And they're kind of a special organization because people that give money to 501c3 organizations are able to claim a deduction on their tax return. But 501c3s are subject to special rules and restrictions that don't apply to even other types of nonprofit organizations and certainly not for-profit businesses or other entities. Okay. And then how is it different when uh, for a person working for um, a, a nonprofit organization, what do they have to think about for social media ethics that maybe I wouldn't working in a law firm? Sure. Some of the categories of restrictions that apply to a 501c3 are, um, for example, restrictions on um, lobbying and endorsements of political candidates. Another category that applies is that a 501c3 cannot act primarily for private or individual benefit or for um, kind of the clunky legal term is private inurement, which just means um, uh, financial benefit to its insiders, such as its board members or its staff. Oh, okay. And we also have to worry about donors and and all of that? Yes, 501c3s also have... um, restrictions because, you know, these donors who are taking deductions in terms of being transparent to donors and making sure that they're following fundraising and solicitation rules that apply at the state and federal level. Okay. Well, now, when we violate the uh, social media rules, uh, are there any specific ramifications for, uh, you know, for a nonprofit organization that would be different? It depends what type of violation we're talking about, since the same rules apply in social media world as they do in real life. Um, For a 501c3, they do have kind of the unique thing that they could lose their 501c3 status, you know, if they act, um, if there's too much private benefit from what they do, if they violate the restrictions on lobbying. And in addition to that, just like any other organization, they also have to worry about potentially being subject to allegations of fraud or defamation or copyright or intellectual property violations. Now, Kate, tell me what is the best way to avoid mistakes with regard to social media ethics? Um, I think for a 501c3 nonprofit organization, as well as really for any other organization, it's just good to be intentional about how you're using it and to think out ahead of time, you know, what is your objective in using social media policy and what does that mean um, for your employees, your volunteers, your board members? What kind of guidelines do you want to give people? So I, I really recommend adapting a social media policy that provides people guidance and also gives you the tools to be able to monitor and enforce how your social media policy is being used. Uh, there also, to the extent you're using social media for fundraising um, or addressing employee limits or employer rights related to your social media policy, you might want to address those in a fundraising policy or an employee handbook. Um, But in general, I just think to the extent you can fit the different pieces of how you're using social media into organizational policies so that you've thought about it ahead of time, it's a good best practice for an organization. Okay. 
It's time to take another short break for a word from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about social media ethics for nonprofit organizations with attorney Kate Redman. Are you looking to advance your career? Do you know someone who wants to enter the paralegal profession? Boston University's fully online Certificate in Paralegal Studies is a fantastic option. It's affordable, takes just 14 weeks to complete, and is led by accomplished faculty who teach employer-focused skills like legal research, writing, technology, and more. Visit paralegalonline.bu.edu for more information and to download a free brochure. That's paralegalonline.bu.edu. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NALA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with all those in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison, and my guest today is Kate Redman, a partner with Olson, Bizdock, and Howard in Traverse City, Michigan, where she practices community enterprise law. Now, Kate, before the uh, commercial break, we were discussing the use of a social media policy to help avoid mistakes. So what should be covered by a nonprofit's social media policy? As a general matter, I would advise with any policy that you make sure you have a way to giving it to everyone who's affected by it, whether that includes your employees as well as volunteers and perhaps even board members, and that you disperse and make sure that people really understand it and consider even doing a training. Um, And you don't necessarily need to try to address everything in the world that would come up in your social media policy. It might be a good idea just to provide guidelines for decision-making and also flag areas when you think employees should ask for further guidance, Um, especially, you know, as an attorney, I'm concerned about (laughs) my areas where they should seek guidance from attorneys. And some particularly legally risky areas, for example, are if they're thinking about doing lobbying and maybe your organization doesn't have a lobbying policy in place, or if they're doing fundraising, or really anything where there's sort of a um, primary benefit to private individuals that could raise issues related to their 501c3 status. Um, And when you start thinking about your social media policy, some areas that it should address are what the, this isn't really a legal concern, but pragmatically it's just good to address what is the purpose of social media use for your organization and who is going to own your content. Which which platforms do you want to use? There are certainly a variety of options out there and growing rapidly every day. Um, 
who in your organization are you going to authorize to open accounts on behalf of the organization, and how do you ensure that your organization has access to those um, portals and those accounts so that if that employee leaves, it doesn't affect your organization's ability to continue using them. Um, You want to think about what type of communication and conduct will be covered within your social media policy or what might you want to exclude from what your organization will use. Um, If employees are using devices and accounts that your organization issues, are there special restrictions that apply? Do you not want them visiting certain websites or making certain type of content available? The same record-keeping rules apply to uh, information that you put on social media as to other organizational pieces. And really with any content that you're putting on any social media platform, you want to ask who owns this content. Does our organization have the right to use it if it was content that somebody else generated? Or if we're generating it, you want to make sure that your organization owns it and that if you have an employee or a volunteer that is letting you use it, either that you own it or that you have a written agreement that's giving you the right to use it and defining the scope of what you can use it for. And it's important for a lot of different areas for social media to make sure that your organization is monitoring how social media is used and that you have consequences for violating those policies, whether that's by employees or by people that are posting on your site if you're making that a possibility. And, of course, any policy you adopt should also be consistent with the substantive limitations uh, on social media for nonprofit organizations. There are a couple of other things I want to ask you right here. Um, the first, is it necessary, and probably it is, to include something in your policy for in the event an employee brings their own device to use at at the office or wherever they're working. Sometimes um, when they bring their own device and work on uh, company uh, projects on their own device, that that probably should be covered in the policy. Is that right, or is that not a problem? Sure, that absolutely can be a problem. And I think rather this should be addressed either in a social media policy or in an employee handbook um, that you would want to provide guidelines and expectations for how much your employee can use, you know, whether they're using their personal device to log in to do work related to to what you're asking them to do, or if they're using your device to log in to their personal accounts. Anytime you have that sort of intersection, you, the organization, run the risk for being on the hook for whatever it is that they're doing. And so it's a good idea to have guidelines that you've given them. If you don't want them using their personal devices for anything related to the organization, then that would be fine. Or if you don't want them using organizational devices for their personal use, that would also make sense. Right. But some some sort of policy in place so that they know what the expectations are that apply to them. Okay. And what about security? Uh, how do we make sure, I mean, I know that hacking is a, is a big thing. It, would the use of social media have, I'm sure it has something to do with that. Is that where you'd be concerned or would it be some other area in the uh, in the IT policy or something? Well, for a, a big consideration, especially for a 501c3 organization, is your um, your donor information. And if you have people making do- donations online, ensuring that you're protecting their private and confidential information. Um, and so, I mean, for that, you should certainly make sure that you are using a secure connection. And also, I would recommend including a notice to people in ter- of what, what it is that you're doing to protect their information and what sort of level of security that they can expect 
or if if you are might be you know if their data is being shared with different organizations just by them using your website that that's information they have as well. Okay. Now this uh, this also goes in with the fundraising. What you know what kind of considerations are there for the social media fundraising? I know we have to watch out for donor privacy rights, but what else do we have to think about? Well, you know, I'll I'll come back to again and again when it comes to social media, but it's just the same rules that would apply to the organization if it weren't social media. Um, and so for fundraising, you have to think about all the same things that a 501c3 organization would think about, you know, if you weren't, if you were fundraising in person instead of through social media, you just have the additional lens of it being so easy to talk to people in so many different places. And that implicates um, solicitation and charitable trust asset registrations. Each state has a different process for registering for that state if you want to solicit charitable contributions from residents of that state. Um, unfortunately, that can be very cumbersome for nonprofits to comply with, and there isn't a standard national system. Um, I often recommend to clients that if they have a website where they're soliciting information from are soliciting donations. Sorry, I'll start that sentence over. Um, I often advise clients that if they have a website that, of course, is available to people who live in all 50 states, but they haven't registered to solicit donations from people in all 50 states, that they might consider putting a disclaimer that, you know, they're soliciting donations from people in maybe, you know, Michigan and Florida and Ohio. And if the donor is a resident of a different state, they should contact the nonprofit for more information before they make a donation. Um, there's also, anytime you're a nonprofit and you're asking for donations, you want to be careful about the scope of what you're asking for and whether it's a restricted or an unrestricted donation, and you want to send the donor an acknowledgement that's consistent with that, the scope of that solicitation. We already touched on donor privacy and donor rights, but that's also, of course, very important and something you might want to consider make available on your website for people that are looking at your website to consider donating. You can use, if you're using professional fundraisers, um, in, at least in the state of Michigan, you have to register with the state to be able to raise money using professional fundraisers, which you know basically means people that you're compensating to help you fundraise, and that's true in most of the states. Um, and also, of course, crowdfunding has been made. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to restart that sentence. Um, and finally, a big use of social media for nonprofits that has been growing rapidly is donation crowdfunding. Um, and you just want to make sure that if there's any, if your state has any special registrations that apply for raising money through donation crowdfunding, that you've complied with those as well. Tell me about crowdfunding. What is that? Um, crowdfunding is really just the idea that you're raising money from a group of people to support your idea. We hear a lot about it lately, but to a 501c3, that just sounds a lot like fundraising that you've been doing for years, which is true. You're right. <laughs> There's donation crowdfunding, and the growth of social media and these web platforms has made it so easy to ask for a large to ask for money from a large group of people to support a project. And we're also seeing growing use of what's called investment crowdfunding, where you're not just asking for a donation, but you're ask actually asking people to give you money that you're going to pay back. And if a nonprofit has a project um, where they are going to be generating funds from the project and would be able to pay money back, they also can use investment crowdfunding. They would, would just have to follow the appropriate uh, legal registrations and definitely talk to an attorney before you undertake investment crowdfunding because you get into securities laws, which are notoriously tricky. Okay. 
well, thanks for for telling me about that because I wasn't really sure what what you know what crowdfunding entailed. Kate, do you have any more tips for nonprofit organizations when it comes to the use of social media by their employees and their board members and even their volunteers? Well, we've talked about some of them, but I think it's really important to think both of who is authorized to post on behalf of your organization and also how your employees and your volunteers and your board members might be using their personal accounts to post about your organization and to make sure that you set expectation and rules around both of those because you, you want to really make sure that whoever is speaking on behalf of your organization is speaking in the way that you want them to to further your mission and in compliance with any policies that you might have. Kate, let me interrupt you for just a minute, but I'm assuming that we're talking about social media and including posts on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and things like that, that uh, people also have to be very careful about when they're, you know, working with an organization. Absolutely. And if you're, you know, whether it's you're retweeting something or you're liking it on Facebook or just in general, if you're endorsing or sharing information that somebody else generated on the organization's platform, um, you, you can be viewed as being responsible for that information. And so it's really important to make sure that anything that you're liking or retweeting is consistent with your organizational um, limits. So, you know, 501c3s are not permitted to endorse specific political candidates, so you want to be careful that you never endorse substance, that even if you didn't generate the content, you're liking somebody else's content or sharing content that would endorse a specific political candidate. If you're linking to a website from your social media, make sure that you understand the content of that website and what it is that you're endorsing. Again, it's the same old rule that if you wouldn't do it in real life, don't do it in social media. And if you know you wouldn't send out a newsletter sharing an article from another organization, then don't link to it on your website either. Now, Kate, thank you for being with me today. This has been really enlightening. I really appreciate all of your information that you've provided. It's been a a great refresher for me, and I know that paralegals who are working at nonprofits are certainly going to benefit. So uh, very much appreciate your taking your time. How can our listeners get in touch with you if uh, if they wish to do that? I would encourage them to feel free to call me at 231-946-0044 or email me at kate, K-A-T-E, at envlaw.com. That's the first three letters of environmentallaw.com. And I would also add, I do do uh, social media policy workshops for nonprofits to make it more cost affordable. Um, I will combine four or five different nonprofits and work through them as a cohort to develop a social media policy. Um, And that way they can kind of learn from each other and also end up with a policy at a more affordable rate than if I was working with them individually. Perfect. Thanks again, Kate. We're going to take another short break now. Please don't go away, because when I come back, I'll have news and career tips for you. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. This is the time in the show when I offer you some uh, 
tips for your career. And I also uh, give you some announcements. One thing that I have going on is that I'll be speaking to the California Alliance of Paralegal Associations, otherwise known as CAPA. Uh, That's going to happen on uh, February the 10th. Uh, They have a new leadership academy that's called Growing Our Association Leaders, or GOAL. And I'm really excited to be a part of their presentation. I'll be talking about leaders of today, innovators of tomorrow, and vision, mission, recruiting, and maintaining your A-team. So it's going to be a, a really good thing. Now, for your career tip, always remember that wherever you work, and it doesn't matter if it's a law firm, a corporation, uh, you're working for a nonprofit, ask if there is a social media policy. And when you're given it, be sure you study it carefully, that you follow it to the letter. And be especially careful about personal use of social media. Um, You know, a good rule is to use work electronics for work, do your personal communications on your own equipment, And always be aware that the federal rules of civil procedure do allow for discovery of your personal electronics if they are necessary for the discovery in a particular case. That would be Rule 26BI. So be sure that you, you know, you do that. You're very careful. And that when they ask you to sign your, your social media policy, that you know exactly what you're signing and ask questions when you need to. Always be cautious, always use common sense, and don't do anything on social media that you wouldn't want your boss to see, you wouldn't want your mother to see. That's a good common sense rule. That's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. If you have questions about today's show, please email them to me at vicki at paralegalmentor.com. I love to hear from you, and I like your suggestions for future shows. Also, don't forget to check out my blog, paralegalmentorblog.com, and the resources available at my website, paralegalmentor.com. All of these have been designed to help you move your career in the right direction, and that direction is always forward. This is Vicki Voison, thanking you for listening to The Paralegal Voice, and reminding you to make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Vicki Voisin for her next podcast on issues and trends affecting paralegals and legal assistants. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.